0: You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm excited for another really, really good conversation. This time we're going to have two guests on the show, and I'm going to be speaking with Chris Edmonds and Marcus Babbitt, who are the authors of Good Comes First, how today's leaders create an uncompromising company culture that doesn't suck. And I'm going to hold up the book here right now. Um, Because I I really, really love the book and there's going to be some really rich discussion on it in the podcast today, but I highly recommend it. Um, it, it's, It's really, really well done but let me give you a little bit of background on the guests. So Chris is a speak author and executive author and executive consultant who helps senior leaders create and sustain purposeful, positive, productive workplaces. So all of you on the show know that I talk about this all the time. It feels like my language as well. So we're a hundred percent aligned there, Chris. And Mark is the president of work IQ, a consultancy focused on transforming leadership Building good comes first, company cultures, and developing workplace intelligence. He's also the founder and CEO of U Turn, a community focused on helping young careerists get their first or next internship or job. So important. Welcome to the show, Chris and Mark.
1: Thank you very much, Kristen. We're delighted to be here.
2: Thrilled to be here. Thank you, Kristen.
0: So, you know, as a starting point, uh, this book good comes first. And I know, um, Mark, I think you've written other books before and I know Chris, you have as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, what was the catalyst because, you know, putting a book together, it's a little bit of work. It's not easy. Um, what was the catalyst for you to really deciding to write this book together and get it out into the world?
2: Chris stalked me until I said, yes, no, that's (laughs) not true. Um, we oh we actually sat down uh, Chris and I had known each other for a long time on social media but had never met before and and we found ourselves in, in Chicago at the same time and and uh, spent some time at a at a culture conference and and dinner afterwards and and the conversation started way back then and and but we had just released uh, our own books our own individual books then and and it was, um, it it seemed like writing a new book was a long time away, and it turned out it was. And and then we actually started writing what three years ago, Chris. Yeah. And we're almost done, and the pandemic hits, and it changes everything about the workplace, and people start to become more reflective of their current positions and wondering if this culture is really right for them, and. And so we kind of had to go back to the drawing board and include um, some more contemporary thoughts and and uh, and encourage leaders to do even more than than what we were doing now because it was clear it was never more important. We actually we uh, to our credit, Chris, we kind of anticipated this whole great resignation thing. We told people if you don't fix this, people are going to walk. And and uh, so it was interesting. And you know this, Kristen. By the time you um, submit a manuscript to the publisher and from that point till the time it actually publishes, then it, it takes it was nine months to a year. And, and that whole nine months to a year, Chris and I are both going, come on, release it. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they they're talking help. about this stuff right now. <laughs> so it was, it was a fun ride and it was a joy to, to work with Chris on this.
1: Uh, and it, if I can say both, both Mark and I, with our previous books, I wrote mine, uh, as a as a solo author and it's fascinating you know sitting in an office like this one and deciding i know what i'm going to write a book about this is brilliant you know and then the next day going oh this is even more brilliant well in a vacuum you can be convinced that you're brilliant and you're missing the mark and so what is very cool about our work together <clears throat> mark has a wonderful editors mind and a wonderful very creative mind around inspiring leaders and And we were able to really merge together very well, because sometimes the co-author thing can be more of a battle, right? literally than than it is really a joint venture. and this was this was really fun. And I think the other piece that was critical is we went with Matt Holt books, part of Ben Bella books. I'd known Matt. Uh, as the publisher of Wiley way back when in 2014 with my book, The Culture Engine. And Matt was so gracious and so excited and was literally building his imprint. He says we were one of the first contracts they signed. So it was wonderful to have a publisher that really got it, that really understood the impact of if leaders don't change the way these work cultures operate, they're going to be very depressed. Yeah.
0: Well, and I was so glad when I read the book because I didn't know in terms of timing if maybe it had been written before the pandemic and there's so much rich information and data to share and and perhaps even a different lens to look at some of these things that people couldn't, sometimes until you've experienced things, you know, I think of all the the workplaces that said, no, no, we can't possibly work from home. No, no, no. Now it's like, well, we've dispelled this myth for many organizations. So I was so glad that the timing worked out that you were able to, to speak through this and, you know, as a starting point as well, when it comes to the title, good comes first, like you explained really well in the book, what that means, because I think also I'm curious, actually both of your interpretations of this. And I really loved when you talk through the foundation of this, It feels like sometimes people are weighted a little bit too far on one side, right? All of the heart, the compassion, but not as much on the business results and accountability or sometimes a little bit more on the other side, right? All business results. We've seen that. We've seen that for many years. And so I like the way that you marry it. So talk to us a little bit more. Um, Maybe Mark, you want to start with what does good comes first really mean as a philosophy?
2: Well, first, let me say that we didn't we didn't even know what we had in the title or in the, in the theme. We actually had a third party co- go to us and, and read our book proposal and say, first of all, your title sucks and your title <laughs> actually in your titles in the first paragraph of, of your book proposal. And you just didn't know it. And that turned out to be good comes first because uh, from the, from the time uh, sitting in that Chicago restaurant, Chris and I knew that in these divisive times, uh, and back then it was just um, the the polarization society of society had just started way back then but we could see it with the political leadership changing and the and the different uh, sets of morals and values that were on display now we could see this very divisive time coming and and uh, Chris and I both realized we, we really need to talk about the good of people and the good of teams and the good of, of uh, the potential good in companies, because all we care about is results. And, and, uh, and, and often that turns into a win at all cost scenario within company cultures or, or you could be a total jerk, but if you're the top sales performer, then you get to stay where somebody who was really just fully engaged in the culture and is a good mentor and a, and a good teammate, but maybe not so good as your top performer, they might be asked to leave. And that, that just seemed completely backwards to us. And, and I will say this, and, and Chris, I know you, you'll want to talk about this more, but we also realized that we couldn't compel leaders to care any more about workplace respect, enabling that, you know, just this pleasant, um, positive, productive culture. We couldn't go that route without also talking about results because then you get this kumbaya culture that feels good and you have your nap pods and your ping pong tables and your foosball you know tables and and but no nothing gets done. And so we're both practical enough where we knew we had to talk about both and that's why equally value results and respect became our foundational principle.
1: Yeah, and if I can add to that, Kristen, one of the things that was was so delightful about Um, our, our book strategist who said this is your title just stay right here compelling clean crisp you have to now justify it and explain it but we were actually thinking quite a bit about the future of work and looking at different generations in the workplace and that that really hung true because as you think about autocratic command and control old school leadership thinking Gen Y's and have unfortunately right been kind of in the midst of that. The Gen Xers have had to model it because they were they were placed into roles by people who expected only that type of leadership philosophy, but the Y's and Zs are not going to put up with that. And so the idea of leaders—I don't care if you really like this change, but this is this is a significant tidal wave of different generational thinking, and these folks are going to be Gen Ys and Zs are going to be sixty-six percent of the population of the workplace population in twenty thirty. That's not that far off. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that you know I, I I was an advocate for a while. I'm a Gen X, but I was an advocate for a while for the millennials because I was so tired of everyone saying they're so entitled and like really, because I can give you millennial after millennial who went in and did great things and challenged the status quo and said we need to talk about purpose and wanted work life integration. So. I'm gonna challenge that perspective for you every day. <laughs> um, but it's it's the I think it's again, it's going to the mindset and how we're approaching it and and the perspective. And if you are gonna if your brain is looking for certain things, it's going to confirm that negative bias if that's what it's looking for. And um, my experience with all of the generations is that they all have, they're all going to have pros and cons. No, no generation is going to be perfect. And I like, even when you were talking about the different types of leaders, um, Mm. old school, new school, all of that kind of stuff, we, we saw that there's also, there's some strengths and there can also be some gaps that come along with those different leadership styles.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So when we talk about the culture, you, um, I love what you had with it. You have the foundational uh, principle, and then you had the four culture, um, cornerstones. So talk to us a little bit about those culture cornerstones and why they're so important. Maybe even talk about, I mean, for, for the audience, most of my leaders are very uh, used to me talking about culture, but even the way you define culture, what that looks like and then what those cornerstones are and why they're so important
1: sure let me let me start with one that is is tied very much to the purpose and significance and meaning kind of connection that literally all humans are are, are of any and all generations are looking for and it's the idea of servant purpose it's not just a purpose and as we boy i've been doing this for a little bit longer than Mark, and it's it's 30 years in my case, and I would get leaders to go out and interview their frontline staff, their mid-level directors and whatnot. In the old days, it was these cameras that you literally had to put on your shoulder, right? Those were VHS kinds of cameras. This was a long time ago. Just go ask, you know, what's the purpose of our com- company and, and, and tell me what you get and of course, it was to make money, uh, to satisfy stakeholders. Um, it, it was to make cars, slash, make sandwiches, whatever the widget is. And and leaders realize, well, but we we you know have a charitable arm, and we do this, and we try and cover X benefits, and that's not the messaging. The messaging is make money, make money, make money. And so the servant purpose idea kind of took the mission statement into a slightly different direction because it's focused upon this cornerstone asks leaders to formally define how what the company does benefits their community how it actually impacts quality of life of customers and community and that's a big jump that's a, a significant shift and, and so, in helping them see, well, number one, if you've got a product that's, that's serving, that's great. But if you never pay attention to how it serves, then you're missing that lover. You're missing that wonderful meaning kind of foundation. So, that first cornerstone on servant purpose is to formally define how you benefit others, how you are literally serving others, and then live it, reinforce it, adapt, look for opportunities. And that you know, leaders will go, well, but the only thing I'm paid to do and paid to pay attention to is results. Well, see what happens of a couple of years of doing service in your community and see how your results change. And they always go up.
2: Yes, Mark, want to
1: pick one?
2: Uh, sure. I uh, One of my favorites, and Chris, this is from, from your original book, uh, The Culture Engine 2014, was we must measure respect just like we measure results how many companies create a mission statement or generate a, a list of core values and they throw it up on the wall in the lobby and, and in the conference room and sometimes even in the bathrooms and and nobody ever lives those things and and so when we when we talk about equally valuing respect and results well uh, chris is famous for saying we have eight 8,200 ways of measuring results, right? We Every performance indicator in the world, you know, even if it's in a performance evaluation, a flawed system done once a year, right about now, every single year to figure out how how um, much of a merit raise we're going to get next year, everybody has some way, no matter how archaic or, or antique it is, to measure performance. But how do we measure Respect. How do we measure a human value, and and that's the big thing for us. So we suggest to leaders that they define their values by by behaviors. Mm-hmm. And if I demonstrate this specific behavior, I can, and it's observable, then it's measurable. And so we don't just say we don't want, we want you to create core values. No, underneath that. We want you, for each of the three to five values you create, we want you to have three, four, five behaviors that might indicate whether especially leaders are living, modeling, coaching that value. And, and once we have a human behavior attached to that, now we can measure it. And, and that's, that's the big one in the book because it's eye-opening. We, Chris and I, in our consulting work, we ask leaders to measure themselves and we ask employees to measure the leaders. Mm-hmm. And it's eye-opening when that CEO looks and goes, I had no idea people felt that way. And I don't get it because our About Us page says we're great. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's a it's an eye-opening experience when, when leaders are vulnerable enough, open enough to start measuring the level of respect in their current workplace. Yeah. Yes, there might be a little shock, but... But now we know we're going to define ideal. We now have measured, m- measured um, uh, current. Well, now what are we going to do to get to ideal? And that's, it's just an eye-opening moment in, in time for most leaders.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't want to miss this one because it's one I talk about so often with the values, like they're, they're overarching throughout the company. Some people even have it memorized. I remember one time my husband at one of the companies, he was actually being tested to be able. And I said, okay, great. You can memorize all the values. What does that mean? Tell me what that means. When I hear innovation, tell me what the behaviors are that come along with innovation. You can't answer that question, but the part that was even more um, demotivating and demoralizing was the fact you would hear the values and then over and over and over again, the leaders were not using the behaviors that go with those values. So to me, it starts to become a checkbox exercise. You've done the exercise, but you're not, you're not doing it. You're not living, breathing, being those values. And, and now not only it's almost, I'd rather you not do the exercise and have the values up there because it almost makes it even worse than when you're actually, you, at least you haven't done the work yet. You're not there yet.
1: Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to be able to see, Employees who know exactly how leaders are behaving, they can see it day in and day out. They can hear the tone. They can see the decision making. And if it's inconsistent with the values and the behaviors, there's no consequence. Yeah.
2: Yes. Well, and there's also trust if you don't, if you, there's also no trust, Chris, if you don't mind me adding on to that. And which segues in segues us um, pretty nicely actually into the third and fourth cornerstones. Use um, lean in on trust, validation, and growth. Well, if you're not living your values, you, I don't trust you. And if I don't trust you, I'm not going to give everything to you as, as a, as an employee or a vendor or a, you know, a contractor. I'm not, if I don't trust you. I may, I may be working for a paycheck cause I need to pay the mortgage or the rent or whatever, but I'm not going to give you everything because I'm not going to do that for somebody. I don't trust. I don't respect. Right. And then the fourth cornerstone is, is use your voice for good, which we've already talked about. Well, if you get a, a CEO up on the pedestal or on the news and he's saying one thing but living something else, well, that's the definition of a hypocrite. And you know better. You're sitting in your living room watching the news or you're on your phone on the subway home and you see your CEO saying these things but not actually doing them and all trust is gone. All respect is gone.
1: Yep, yep. I want to add with with the 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 lean on trust, validation, and growth. Validation is such a huge skill that leaders can choose to use. And and it's very interesting as we work with leaders and and we hopefully help them evolve their work cultures so that those leaders, those senior leaders, particularly because they have to role model this, in order for the next level to go, oh, that's what you mean. And oh, you're really serious. And you're going to do a custom value survey where my direct reports give me feedback. Oh, God, I have to. But the idea of spotting when people are, are contributing ideas and efforts and contributions, which happens every day, yes, maybe even more than once a day. Yeah. But here we are in the holiday season. So there's going to be a holiday party and everybody gets a check or a turkey or whatever. And that's the extent of validation. You're missing a huge, huge human lever. And and it boosts relationships, which boosts service, which boosts profits anyway.
0: Well, it's so true because ultimately we all want to be seen and heard. And so what it feels like someone's reflecting back things that you've done. And I, I, a lot of times this shows up in the podcast where I make analogies between raising children and raising employees. I mean, it's the first thing, you know, positive reinforcement, positive reinforcement. So they know, okay, I'm doing this behavior. Well, they're going to get more of it. And, and also, I mean, in the workplace too, who doesn't want to be recognized and acknowledged? I think one of the things I always articulate is be very specific as well, right? Because sometimes it's like, oh, great job. What does that mean exactly? I did a great job being very specific around, you know, I really appreciate the way you all came together, you know, spent the three hours or re- rebooked this meeting to get this deadline um, really well done and being as, as descriptive even in some of the behaviors they're
1: using. Yep, yep, I totally agree. It's interesting because the out of boy, out of girls is is again, it can be a checking the box, right? So I've I've now recognized people. I don't have to say anything for a month or a quarter or next year. And it's and it's interesting. I remember with my bosses, you know, the good ones were very specific about their praise, what they were recognizing, because it's the I want to do more of that then. But if it's too broad, I'm thinking, well, which are the four things that I do in the last hour that really helped the business? And you have no clue. So again, it reduces that respect uh, that I have for that leader. It's fascinating. Well, and I, will tell you, I, I,
2: I love the, I love the kid analogy, not only because I have five kids, but, <laughs> but because I've coached baseball for so long and, and you can see it, in the faces of a young man, he knows maybe a pitcher just had a really bad inning or somebody, somebody made a a costly error. Well, they know it already. They know, they know in that moment, they, they kind of sucked. And, and so on the baseball field, and as a dad, I hope I, I learned this is a really bad time to be a jerk. And, and one of my assistant coaches, one time we had a, we had a, a, just a terrible inning. We gave up like seven runs in one inning. And, and he was just getting more and more and more angry. And as the players finally came off the field, I said, great job getting in the dugout. Let's go hit. And he looked at me and goes, really? You spun that into a positive? And, but but that's what leaders need to do sometimes. And, and to your point, you can't just say great job, period. Great job. We just gave up seven seven runs. No, you have to be very specific. Great job getting in the dugout. Now we can go hit. Well, now we have something positive to hang on to knowing everybody else is already frustrated because they didn't perform well or they didn't meet that milestone or the results weren't quite what we wanted from this project or this product. At least now we have something to build on. And that's all by itself in a, in a, in a strange way. Um, Leadership lessons learned from the baseball field. That's exactly how employees want to be treated.
0: Well, and the other thing that was coming up for me as you were both talking is Um, Depending on the personality styles too, right? Certain personalities, when they just hear great job and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of um, genuineness to what they're talking about, they actually dismiss it. Like they don't really receive it because they just feel like, oh, they're just... They're just doing it because they're supposed to do that. Whereas when they're very specific, it feels much more sincere. They're able to receive it. So I think it's, um, I think it's really helpful. And, and like anything, it's remembering it's a, a work in progress, right? So if I always tell people, sometimes it's just even writing yourself a note, like I'm going to be working on this particular skill this week or for this month, even, and not five skills all at once, but one, so that you can really start to build that muscle. Because anytime you're trying to create behavior change, which I, I I always talk about this too, there's this instant gratification, like it's supposed to happen overnight. That's not how it works, or we'd all be doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and it it goes back to to what you you've emphasized with the book, which is about respect and results being you know, in essence, uh, on equal pedestals, and and we know that western society especially western industrial age thinking you know prevails and it's results 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 and and so it can be simple for a boss to say well in my past my great bosses all yelled and screamed when we missed the results so i'm going to yell and scream louder and it's like again we've got new generations coming in but if you say that respect and results are equally important then you have to talk about it, model it, coach it, praise it both at the same time, which means for many, many leaders, it is a mindset shift, as you said.
0: Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I thought you did really, really well in the book is gave a lot of examples of some companies who are doing it really well and some companies who are not doing so well and struggling, but it wasn't just naming the companies. It gone into a lot of detail around, well, the why and what was going on and where were those shortcomings and what could they have done differently? And and I think that's so important because I think sometimes when we're having these dialogues and trying to help um, the decision makers and people who have the resources to be able to invest in this way... um, They need to have some more really business cases and and tactical information um, and getting again to the results to show why, what's in it for them ultimately, right? What's it in for them and how's the organization going to shift in in positive ways? And I also believe what I've also noticed with a lot of these um, C-suite in these organizations that seem to also really get this they've done the work they've worked with coaches. And so they've gone through their own personal developments journey. And so it's easier for them also to hear some of this and look in the mirror and recognize ways that they might be contributing to this, but I thought it might be helpful for you to share. So I'm just going to give a shout out for the couple that you mentioned that it was great to hear about radio Flyer, striker in and out burger, which was cool because we sometimes don't think of that in terms of food services, Um, And then, you know, there's the Boeings of the world, world, and and I thought Ellen DeGeneres, the the story you shared there was pretty interesting with the show as well. So I'm going to let you choose um, one company that's doing it really well, that jumps out at you, that you'd like to share, you know, what we could all learn from them for this organization and other, other leaders that are listening right now. And then we'll talk through one that isn't doing it so well and where they might be able to make changes.
2: so i'll i'll start i i i um chris found found and researched the cathay pacific example the airline that was stuck between the proverbial rock and a hard place and and i caught myself in that example of of clearly not a good company saying but if i was the ceo as an old white guy i would have maybe done the same thing being in that rock and a hard place. My primary interest in that moment, based on my current compensation plan and my current charter, is to protect the company at all costs, people be damned. And, and then it occurred to me, well, that's actually why we're writing this book. Because we don't want leaders to think that their only responsibility is to the shareholders. And, and you have stakeholders that are far more important than shareholders. And if you, as Chris has already said, if you treat employees, customers, vendors, contractors, um, you know, uh, uh, competitors even with respect, then that becomes part of your being. Like, and if, and, if, and if Cathay Pacific would have had a leadership cycle, a leadership team that would have said, no, wait, we, we changed our culture two years ago. And now we value respect just as much as we do results, and we and we take just as good a care of stakeholders as we do shareholders, and we would never make that decision now. And, and that's when it really stuck for me was those leaders were doing exactly what they felt they had to do based on their charter in that moment, and that's what we're trying to change. If that's your charter, and if you're one of these legacy leaders, been around a long time, and... Like me, you said I probably would have done the same thing. That's exactly what we're trying to change here. We're trying to get people to not make those same mistakes again.
1: Well, and and the radio flyer example was it was such a delight to to speak with the CEO and the grandson of the founder, <clears throat> Robert Passen. And <clears throat> what what really struck it, and, and we're geeky. I literally once a week will scroll through. Glass door to look to see who's complaining about whom and how loudly and is it consistent or is it one you know kind of disgruntled player etc and the radio flyer reactions of employees were phenomenal because it was though we can't we can't meet together anymore this is chicago based so everyone we need to support you with working from home and do you have internet do you have you know, enough iPads slash tablets for your kids going, going to kindergarten remotely or whatever, right? How do we support that? But the the reaction of employees was so gracious to their bosses, to Robert and his leadership team to say, you guys have done everything and a hundred times better than I would have expected from the best organization on the planet, which you now are, and it was it was so cool to, to see Robert's response in Glassdoor to say, I can't wait for us all to get back together and see each other and, you know, kind of take this further. So this idea of moving from a literal wagon making company where they built every single wagon out of steel back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and Robert realizing in the 70s and 80s, this is not the way we're going to be able to compete. And so everything is, you know, other, other plants now build everything. They're doing much, much faster design and, and testing and whatnot. People love how much they're trusted, how much they're given authority to make decisions, how much they can get creative. So listening to him and his Boy, you talk literally about the leadership mindset and seeing how the business used to be run by his dad and by his dad's dad and saying that's not going to fly. And they've done a phenomenal job over the last 10, 12 years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just to, I can geek out with you as well. I go on Glassdoor all the time and read those things for the same reason, just to see, you know, what are you hearing about the company? And even when an organization's interested in working with me, I go on there to learn a little bit more about what's, what's happening and taking a pulse. Um, yeah, there's lots of different ways you can get awards from best play, best employers to work and things where you go through to make sure there's different areas, but to hear what the feedback is for people working within the organization. That's the, that's the first one that I want to go to, to get data from.
1: Well, and if I can, if I can give a little bit of insight, one of the things that we do when we begin working with senior leaders is we do discovery. We do interviews. Very, very simple, and it's you know it's a simple core set of ten questions we ask. Not only senior leaders, but next level leaders and periodic team members, and even frontline employees. So this is a a a business blue collar in the construction environment, and I was trying to reach a site foreman and and I called this gentleman and he said can I give you a buzz back I just had one of my team members throw a ladder at one of his peers (laughs) and I thought take all the time you need right and he calls back at eight minutes and I said throwing a is this he said this is blue collar it's kind of you know, that, that talk about old school command and control disrespect is the foundation. This is the kind of stuff that I have to break these habits of. And, and I can't be everywhere at once. I've got foresight. So I'm, and it's fascinating to get an insight into that because sometimes we can read stuff on Glassdoor and go, oh, it's not that bad. It could be, it could be. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the name of the show is inspirational leadership. And to me, inspirational leadership is very reflective of the types of things that you spoke about in your, in your book and those behaviors. Um, but I really liked when you also came, there's a part of the book where you would talk about leadership styles, old school, new school, middle school. <laughs> and then you were talking about another one, which I think is important. And I want to discuss with you a little bit right now as well, which is around um, the, the boomer male syndrome. And I, I, I don't know did you create that term because uh, did you coin it
2: we we did and it it actually uh came out very spontaneously i was having a very frustrating conversation with with a white male older leader and and he was he he was i don't know auditioning for the poster child of <laughs> boomer mail syndrome at the minute in the minute and 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 just to give you an example he when i said look you really we have all this data now from your from your employees from your vendors from your contractors it's not positive and and you were put in this position to help make the culture better but the data shows it's actually gotten much worse and he goes well we can't pay any attention to that we gave them a voice and all they did is bitch and I went, oh my God, you are like the epitome of a boomer male right now. This, this is not okay. Yeah. And, and from that tense conversation came the phrase boomer male syndrome to the point we actually, Chris and I actually sat down and wrote, what are the symptoms? What are the cures? I mean, and, and we put some of that in the book to, to let people know that, that one, you don't have to be male and you don't have to be old. To be suffering from boomer male syndrome or bms you, you and and we got a very good story firsthand from from one of our uh, interviewees of the book she said she is a um 40s chris um might black be, female she
1: would, she would appreciate the 40s reference
2: okay and 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 she, and she said look i get this i get that i know you don't want to label people i don't i know you don't want to you know target a certain sector of of the leadership core. And we especially don't want to do that because we wrote this book for leaders and we wouldn't want to alienate 76% of our audience. But she said, I am, I'm suffering from BMS. And I'll tell you why, because all, all the old white guys in the boardroom, they turned me into an old white guy. I had to be an old white guy to be heard, to be respected, to get assignments. I had to change. And and so she is probably the best example um, uh, self-described yeah. as a black female leader suffering from BMS because that's what she had to do to fit in, to, to be um, relevant, to become relevant. And, and so it's it's a tough thing. Now, again, it's usually the older white guys. They've been around forever. They only know how to lead one way. They, they focus exclusively on results, which is why things like, I'm going to lay off people and then collect my $41 million end of year bonus thing happens, right? Those are the people we're talking about. But even there, and Chris and I have seen this firsthand over the last couple of years, especially with COVID, because those leaders, they went home too. They, they could take care of their elderly parents. They could welcome their kid back from college. They could visit with their grandchildren. They could take care of their four-legged children. And and they got they got this sense of normalcy. Like I don't have to be going 80, 90, 120 hours a week and expect the same from my people. I want to live my life now. I'm I'm getting older and I like to be in there for my grandkids. So so there's this pandemic-caused epiphany happening where even those who really suffered most from BMS are now reflecting and acting and are, and are inspired to do something different, and not just for them, but their entire companies. Now, unfortunately, this isn't true on Wall Street yet. It isn't true in the hospitality industry yet. There are certain sectors where they're not going to change and BMS is gonna remain very real, but Chris and I are seeing example after example after example of, of the, the most encased boomer male leaders saying enough's enough, I'm gonna change now.
1: Mm. And it's hard to change. It is, it is looking at decades of reinforcement, right? And it's not just messaging, it's pay, it's incentives, it's recognition. And so the concept that anybody can be a boomer male syndrome sufferer, and all you've got to do is start to look at what's the impact. You know, are we actually, does good comes first, are we literally helping employees experience every day? respect and validation for their ideas, efforts, and contributions. And the answer is, eh, or oh my God, no, then that's where you have to change. And and again, culture change takes some time. There's some tricks to doing it well. And we literally give give away our secrets um, because we want leaders to take this on and you can start small and you you can really make impact. But the trick is if you start down this path, and you're going to literally make respect as important as results, you better start looking at awards that are given out, the kinds of validating messaging for demeaning behaviors. There's got to be consequences for that. So you have to measure, and then you have to coach, and then you have to hope people evolve. And if they don't evolve, then you come to a line in the sand. And if you're tolerating people behaving badly, you're not going to get the good comes first culture.
0: I it's the brilliant a-holes you can't let the brilliant brilliant a-holes continue to behave like that and think that you're going to create that culture it's not possible they have to be accountability and I like how you said that there's a line and you have to draw the line and say this will no longer be tolerated
1: yeah because if you don't make that change then everything on the walls and all of this quote communication about the positive productive respectful culture is crap totally
0: Totally. So Chris and Mark, I'm going to give each of you a magic wand, and you get to take this magic wand, And, and with that, maybe you say one thing, a couple of things. If I gave you that magic wand and there was something that you want to do to make change and you had the ability to do it in any capacity, what shows up for you it can be in workplaces. It could be in the world. It could be in your communities, whatever's showing up for each of you in this moment.
2: Well, uh, well, besides I'm um, hoping the Giants sign a frontline, a frontline pitcher for the next season. Um, <laughs> <Of course. laughs> um I, 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 I have worked very hard. So has Chris in, in, in helping leaders understand And We'll start with managers, the difference tier, the different tiers of leadership. And we talk in the book, the difference between a, a, a manager and a leader, and then and then a a leader to a mentor. And, and our biggest light bulb moment so far is when leaders sit there and go, I'm, I'm definitely focused on compliance and conformity. And I'm definitely focused on results and shareholder value. And I have to stop, I have to, I have to start being a mentor. I have to, you know, and I'm not just talking about succession plan stuff. I'm talking about you know one of our cornerstones um leaning on per- personal and professional growth we have to help those around us excel and if we're not doing that for for any reason we're by definition we're not being a mentor and and so if i had a magic wand it would be to take every manager and make them feel like uh, make them feel like they are a leader now i i'm not so focused on compliance and conformity i'm going to focus on the mission i'm going to inspire action I'm, I'm going to get the most out of my people. That's a leader. And then a mentor is that plus somebody who genuinely believes in the potential and is willing to invest time in the possibilities of that individual, their growth, their success. And, and my magic wand would be all about mentorship.
1: Mm, so good. Let me jump in with mine. I think one of the interesting um, life experiences I had. Early on, my dad, who who was a mortgage banker back then, and as I was watching Rocky and Bullwinkle, I'm old, right? Snidely Whiplash was the mortgage holder, right? In this old, old 50s cartoon, I'm really old. So I thought, my dad isn't exactly a Snidely Whiplash. But my mother apparently coached my father, so when I hit kindergarten, we joined a YMCA program that was very common throughout Southern California, called Indian Guides, and there was Indian princesses, Indian maidens, et cetera. But it was fathers and sons, and so we joined another dozen, and these these businessmen would get dressed up with their you know vests and kind of engage in some rituals that were literally about building their relationship with their kids well i went through this whole through high school with the same kids because we all went into the next you know elementary school was a different kind of program more sports oriented yada yada yada. but what it did was allow me to choose instead of following in my father's footsteps and going to work for him as a mortgage banker i went the complete opposite way i went the kumbaya way guitars in front of the campfire, driving buses, doing caravans and open you know, flatbed trucks kinds of things and traveling all over. And so that nonprofit executive thing, I was in the YMCA for 15 years, but it's the community orientation. So my magic wand would be, we need, and we mentioned it in the book, we talk about barn building, about the ideal that if you begin implementing some of these concepts in your work life, it's going to impact your personal life, which means you need to get to offer your butt and meet your neighbors and engage with your neighbors and maybe even contribute on a regular basis with a local nonprofit. And it doesn't mean you have to be out building houses, although Habitat for Humanity would love your help. But if we don't do that kind of face-to-face, literal hours of volunteering to serve others, then I think we're going to continue to be in a pretty divisive society in the years to come. So that's my one.
0: Mm, Both so good. I think it it reminds me as you're saying that too, that people can get so me focused that they forget the we focus and and it shifts your perspective when you're around other people and volunteering in your community in that way, everything looks different.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And it's right out there. It's not complex. There's hundreds and hundreds hundreds of nonprofits that could use our help today. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. So Chris and Mark, where can people learn more about you and the work that you're doing in the world?
1: We are active on social, um, but I I think we would be doing you all a disservice. If you want to learn more about us and about the book, go to goodcomesfirst.com.
0: And Mark, anything you want to add to that? Anywhere else where you might be playing out there with your company that you would like people to check out as well?
2: Well, I think uh, people will see, as Chris said, we we are active on social. Neither one of us have uh, admins or executive assistants. We answer our own emails and tweets, and um, we believe that's really important to to you know having our our fingers on the pulse of what's happening in the workplace right now. So. If you want to talk to us directly, besides GoodComesForce.com and authors at GoodComesForce.com, you can reach us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. We're there.
0: Perfect. Thank you, both of you, for being here today and creating this wonderful book that's, I think, going to help to create very big shifts in the
1: world. We're really hopeful for that. And Kristen, thank you for reading the book and, and preparing some cool questions. You're just passionate about work culture as we are. Thank
0: you. Thank so. You, Thank you. And to everybody, wherever you are in the world right now, sending lots of love. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace, practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.